my music continues to be kind of wobbly. Has anybody else noticed that, or is it just something that I'm experiencing? It's kind of, I don't know, it's weird. Maybe I need to re-upload that, that short one, because my other one doesn't seem to be doing that when I'm using it for my clothes. I am... Okay. Um, I... <laughs> I had the show open in another window, and it was playing on my other headphones, and it was kind of weird. It was I'm kind of echoing in my office. Um, tonight, we're going to talk about um, November's challenge um, and um, answer any questions that you guys might have in the chat room about it. Um, please don't ask me questions on Facebook because um, I'm not on Facebook, so I won't see them. Um, if you have a question and you can't get into the uh, the chat room, come over to the Rough Trade site and post on the actual podcast post that I created. Just make that, um, um, do a comment there. And I'll refresh that screen every 30 minutes or so and check it. Um, did I already tell you? If you're in the chat room, um, and this is your first time in the chat room, and you might not be aware of it, um, tiny font makes my head hurt. So please put your font up on 22. Click on the little T beside all users, and you'll be able to up your font. I would super appreciate it. Um, Julie said she will monitor the site for me if there's any questions. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm honestly, like last year, the challenge was very difficult for people to get. Um, so this year I thought I would make it super simple, but apparently it's not been so simple for some people. So, <laughs> um, if you have questions, um, please feel free to ask them. I, I really don't have anything planned. Um, so that's all I got. Um, All right, Miss James, you go right ahead and do that. <laughs> that's just like, that's passing the buck. <laughs> it's not the first time this week I've thrown you under the bus. <laughs> just want you all to know, my vagina is still prissy, okay? Getting it out there. <laughs> I used the tag, did you see? I did see that. I was I was laughing my ass off. Um, let's reshape Rodney and you know Rodney better than I do that's why I picked him is because that way you have to participate um, you're, 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 you're kind of breaking up for me is your mic in the right place? yeah am I still breaking up? maybe it's just me is she breaking up for anybody else? Are you guys hearing me okay, or am I, like, digitally distorted? Wobbly. Wobbly. Okay. Wobbly. Okay, maybe it's just me. Okay. So let's... Yeah. Let's, uh, it's just you. Good, it's but just slightly me. wobbly. Okay. 
I'm well, if I keep if, if if I wobble, you guys will tell me, and I'll just dial back in. Um, so let's do Rodney. Maybe um, I need to dial back in. Give me one second. I'm gonna redial. Um, okay. So talk about something else before while while while, while I do that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> going. Okay, bye. Um, so someone someone's someone's hearing static. No, we won't talk about vajazzling again. I, I googled images. It was terrible. Um, okay, so if some people are are good and some people aren't, um, then I'm just going to assume that it's your connection. It ain't me. Um, so right after the show, like like to the minute, I'm tell you guys, I'm I'm taking off. I'm gonna go see the Magnificent Seven. I won't give any spoilers, but I will let you all know what I thought. Um, I enjoyed the the both the uh, the, the original movie and the TV show, so um, I, I'm really looking forward to this. The cast looks really interesting, so I'm hoping that um, I'm hoping that it's going to be worth being up and going out that late at night. Um, I am a night owl, but I'm not an outdoors night owl. That's much better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was just my connection. Um, you're not not out, you're you're not an outdoors not out. I used to be until I watched this show on Investigation Discovery about this woman who's out in her backyard having a phone conversation, and some dude walks by her house and hears her having the conversation, and he comes back into the backyard and cuts her throat. Holy crap! I'm. <laughs> I used to do that. I'd be wandering around my backyard with my phone while my dogs were hanging out, doing whatever. Not anymore. <laughs> I used to walk to the 24-hour grocery at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I don't exactly live out in the country, folks. <laughs> but I, I got over that. <laughs> and now I, now I stay up till 3 o'clock in the morning, but I just don't leave the house. So tonight I am leaving the house. I won't be home until about, I guess, 1 a.m. my time, um, and I'm going to see the Magnificent Seven. So, um so, kind of thought out the dude was a serial killer, and he was a truck driving serial killer, and he would stop his truck and go into residential neighborhoods, and eventually he graduated to breaking into homes and attacking and killing women. Holy crap! Yeah, that's, he started that's out me catching women outside their homes at night. That is really scary because when we go out in our backyards, even if it's two o'clock in the morning, we just assume we're safe. Right, because it's our fucking backyard, right? Right. <laughs> her yard, her yard wasn't fenced. My yard is fenced. I think that I would hear somebody coming over the fence, or somebody opening the gate because the gate squeaks. So um, there goes any idea I had about buying WD forty. <laughs> That's right. That's just your early warning system. Squeaky gate, because <laughs> it was getting on my nerves. Now I feel like it's a safety measure. <laughs> Like, tell me you did not oil that gate. Get out there and make it squeaky again. You go out there and you rub that oil off. I need it to squeak. <laughs> oh, if I hung bells from it, my dog would ring those bells all damn night. Jeep obviously doesn't have dogs. <laughs> okay, we're going to reshape Rodney McKay. Yeah, and I think, the, so first, I think, you know, what we talked about, first you have to figure out what's intrinsic to somebody and what is a product of their upbringing. 
and obviously his intelligence is intrinsic to him. That's that's his biology. This is actually but, really interesting because in Stargate we meet two versions of Rodney. True. One who was outgoing and social and very friendly, um, still quite brilliant. He went into the military instead of um, just the sciences by itself. He's like a male Sam Carter. If Rodney had been raised in a environment where um, he was encouraged, this is what would have happened. So, mm-hmm. so in a lot of ways, Rod and Rodney are a really good example of how you can reshape a character. Mm-hmm. And this, now, my interpretation of him, um, I never quite bought the um, the super friendliness part of it. Um, because I, I wondered how much of his intolerance for other people's stupidity was upbringing and how much was just a function of an impatience of not wanting to wait for the world to catch up to him. Mm-hmm. Um, so the easygoingness, it always kind of was, I wasn't ever sure that I completely bought that in the other world, in the, you know, in the parallel universe or mirror universe, Rodney, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. So I mean, depending upon what you think of 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 a character, um, what you consider to be intrinsic about them, and, and granted, any anything like I think, um, um, like Tony would always have a good sense of humor, but I could also conceive of really difficult life circumstances that would have snuffed that out. So, you know. Chestnut Nola brought up something else. Um, the the Vegas episode, which means. Okay, we've actually seen four versions of Rodney McKay. We saw one when Sam ended up in an alternate universe, and she was he was her ex-husband. And he was uh, a tech millionaire. We saw the one where he's in Vegas. He's married to Jennifer Keller. He's very se- serious, but he's also manipulative, but really, really smart. We see Rod where he grows up and has a really good relationship with his sister, and his sister has a couple of kids versus just one. And then we have the original Rodney McKay. And I would ask people who are familiar with him, is did in all of those iterations of, of Rodney, is was he recognizable to you? Despite being to me, I would, other than physically. I would say yes, absolutely. Um, there were traits that that showed up. And you could see how um, Canon Rodney could have been any version of the Rodneys that we saw with a little bit of a twist or a, you know, a, a change of events. Mm-hmm. There's a story where Rodney takes a blow to the head and he forgets his first two to three years, maybe three years of being on Atlantis. And he reverts back to the asshole McKay he first was. And John hates him. John was in love with Rodney and Rodney took his blow to the head and he forgot who he was. And this, this version of Rodney is still arrogant. He's still mean spirited. He's selfish. And, 
he almost gets Taylor killed off world. And John hates him and he hates himself for hating him because he knows it's not Rodney's fault. He's just forgotten all the experiences that made him the Rodney that John fell in love with. Because we are a sum of our experiences and Rodney is no different. And there's something about um, I don't know. In, in, in the majority of those instances, I, for the most part, bought um, that Rodney could be turned that way. You know what I mean? Um, the more serious one with the manipulative, I could see Rodney going that direction um, mm-hmm. with the right external pressures. Um, and. But to me, he still, I could still see, because I could see even even the, the original Rodney, if you apply the right external pressures, and that's sort of what that blow to the head um, example is. If you apply the right external pressures, you could change him from what you see in canon to something else, and it's an evolution that makes sense. And it's still the canon Rodney. So if you can do that with him in canon, apply external pressures and change him and still be the same person, you can do it from childhood up. And granted, you could apply, you know, if you if you really wanted to, if it really was a comfort zone for you, you could put them in a new world, apply the same childhood pressures, and then explore how they would be in a different environment. It's not the route that I would I would go. Um, but it's something you could do is a, is reconstruct a very similar childhood. Um, um, I'm looking it up. Eleanora mentioned a, um, hope I'm saying your name right. Um, mentioned an AU in, um, which Rodney forgets his past because he messes, he, he forgets his, his past on purpose. He has a form of amnesia and it's like he refuses to remember how terrible he was because it ruined his relationship with John. And this is a a non-Atlantis AU. And he was a physicist, and he just forgets all of it and ends up being a musician. Um, And I believe, I believe it's entanglement. Let me click on this link and and check it. No, that's the Alfred Hitchcock AU, which I totally recommend. It's really awesome. Um... It's not string theory. Is it ununified by the drifter rights? Hold on. Yeah, it's ununified by the um, fiercely dreamed or the drifter rights, depending on um, where she's posting. I'm going to post a link in there. And it's also on the list of recommendations I've got on Rough Trade um, on the forum for that um, I consider really good examples of the um, uh, the AU principle where you've taken the character and put them in a new circumstance, but um, they're still recognizable as who they are. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, in that list, there's several in that list I hadn't read, um, and I'm going to work through them um, just because they sound they sound good. 
um, the first one I read, though, that I hadn't read before was the the Star Wars AU. Um, mm-hmm. John is a Sith, and Rodney was very different. He had very different um, upbringing, obviously in a Star Wars Star Wars universe where he's a Jedi, very different life, and he was he was definitely a, a different Rodney, but he was still Rodney. You know, there was a um, tone. There was a t- yeah, it was a tone about him that was just so perfectly Rodney, and John was great too. Um, I, I thought I you know I, I for, for my reading taste I thought Rodney was was better developed than John, but we were in Rodney's point of view, so mm-hmm. that kind of makes sense that you would get more about how Rodney had developed than than John, or we're mostly in Rodney's point of view. Um, and, Absolutely. Um, has kind of have a, a a a love affair with Rodney, I think, but then so do I. So that's why I, I'm really drawn to her work. Um, and um, Astolot wrote the Dark Side. That's the Star Wars AU that Jill is talking about. Um, and I recommend every I I recommend you read everything Astolot's written. <laughs> everything. <laughs> <laughs> go you go lose two three days of your life reading everything she's got. You won't regret it. You really won't. What, my favorite on the list is Fireball by Selly. That's one I haven't read. Rodney's an engineer, and John is a NASCAR driver, and it is awesome. It is awesome. And my first friendship was asked a lot. It was Time in a Bottle. Which is by far one of the best stories I've ever read. But I can't remember what the first one I read was. I, I actually, it, it wasn't good. Um, it kind of turned me off the fandom. Um, but wow. I, it's a probably a good thing I can't remember what it was. Um, <laughs> yeah, please don't say it out loud. If you do no, no, no. I would, I would never do that. I would never do that. Um, but I was like, because um, I had read that. Actually, the first thing I had, first things I had read. Um, were actually um, Beckett McKay. Somebody mm-hmm. had recommended them to me if I was thinking about reading in the Stargate Atlantis fandom, and I was like, mm, I don't know about this. Um, what about John Rodney? And they recommended something else, and I was like, ah, oh, no. Um, no, that won't work. So I kind of wandered away. <laughs> um, maybe I'll try Harry Potter. <laughs> um, but... Um, in, then she found me. I'm not. I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, actually, I think the first, the first, um, the first uh, uh, um, McShep that I read that I liked was what might have been. Oh well, thank you. Fireball is a podcast. I really super recommend you read Fireball. It is by far. I mean, it is just amazing. I I fucking love it. Mm. I'll put that on my next to read list. But in all of these different AUs, the character is there's some essence of the character that is familiar. Um, okay, so maybe it would help to work for this from the other angle, reverse engine. Okay. You know, I mean, work it work it from the angle of what wouldn't be Rodney. Um, what w- so obviously you're not going to make a bozo Rodney. He's not going to be dumb. Okay. No, I could um, never run a dumb Rodney. So you know, so here that's just not reasonable. Intrinsic, um, intrinsic traits to McKay. Um, 
He's intelligent. My fucking pen's not working. Um, he's not just intelligent. Life. He's a um, he's a, a, a in a, a deeply analytical thinker. He he makes connections super fast in a very analytical way, as opposed to a um, or like Tony would be more of a of, of somebody who makes connections in kind of a an organic creative way. Um, Rodney's are I, I would call them very cerebral connections, and he does them super fast. Um, so there you know, there could be people on Atlantis for you know conceivably other scientists who are as smart as he is, but it's not just the ability to it's not just smart your ability to like take an IQ test. Um, what made what I think one of the things that makes Rodney stand out is his ability to problem solve and how quickly he makes connections and sees alternative paths or sees all the paths. He's Have a, you ever read Rodney, the Rodney, the Rodney Multiplex? Is that what it's called, you guys? Um, the one where John um, gets um, telepathic abilities, and he focuses on Rodney because Rodney's thoughts, he sees their thoughts in bubbles, but Rodney's bubbles fill the whole room. And he calls it the Rodney Multiplex. I just posted a link for you guys. That's how I think of Rodney and his brain. Mhm. <laughs> mhm. Yeah, and he's um I think an intrinsic trait. So aside from the way he thinks, I think he's also someone who is going to be um unless it's just beaten out of him when he's young, he's going to be somebody who's very intensely curious about the world. Um he wants to know. Uh, and depending upon what you do with him as a kid, it could be a survival trait. It could be just an inquisitive thing. It could be he doesn't want people to, you know, have – he doesn't want to ever be ignorant. I mean, it depends upon how you – why he's developed that trait. But I think that in almost any um, iteration of him, he's going to be um, knowledge-seeking. He's not going to be content to just be smart on a subject. Except perhaps, you know, popular culture, you know, things he doesn't think are. Um. I would say that he's not socially aggressive, but he is intellectually aggressive. Mm-hmm. So he would show work aggression, like, you know, be really, really super ambitious, but I don't consider him particularly, I mean, he might have ambitious ideals socially, like, you know, his crush on Sam Carter or his infatuation for Jen- with Jennifer Keller. Um, but he's... socially awkward on purpose. In in the sense that it's not a priority, or in the sense that it's um, a buffer. Um, yeah. Okay, I could see that. I think it's not a priority. Number one, it, it never was, and that probably came back to bite him. Um, but also, in that he thinks a lot of social niceties are a waste of time. Mhm. Why bother with that? I have other things to do. And I think that's pretty in, – in most iterations of Rodney, you're going to get that. Um, and I think intolerance for ignorance, 
it might come out in different ways, but I think that that would be pretty consistent for him. Um, people, not so much intolerance for ignorance, but intolerance for being content with ignorance. People I think he's are, contemptuous of stupidity. <laughs> well, I would say willful, because I mean, I think I don't. It depends yeah. on how you how you write his his childhood. Um, I don't think he would hold someone's biology against them. I think he would right. ch- hold their choices against them. Um, and people who choose to be uninformed and ignorant, or who sort of, you know, are proud of their of their lack of knowledge, would drive him crazy in any. Um, universe. Um, I also think that he believes everybody. I mean, is teachable. You never see him saying, "Oh, you're, well, you're too dumb to learn that." <laughs> that never comes out of his mouth. Even if he thinks you're a dumbass, he's gonna try to show you how to do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I mean, depending upon what you so it, this is why you have to go back to how where, what the parents are and how he was raised and how you know were the parents kind of lost and confused with him and he felt misunderstood his entire childhood um, was he were his parents very supportive of his intelligence even if they didn't quite get him and you know when you think about like a parent like um, like the Epps is in um, in numbers, where the mother really focused on Charlie's education and went with him to Princeton, you know, that's a very supportive nurturing of someone's intelligence, even if they couldn't quite understand his intelligence. So did he have a parent like that? Um, you know, did his parents not quite know what to do with him and just go stick him in a boarding school and he had no parental? Um, and those are the kinds of things that are going to shape how those things manifest with him all these intrinsic traits manifest. Is he socially awkward because he's never um, been exposed to social situations, really? Or is he socially awkward, you know, maybe not awkward or socially intolerant because he sees it as a waste of time because he has things to do? You know, you can have different reasons behind the trait, and it's going to tweak how that trait comes out. Because if someone has not been exposed to social circumstances, they're going to be not able to function socially as opposed to someone who can function socially and has no interest in it. Um, so it's just, you know, you have to really really reconceive um, what happened to that person that you are bringing into this new universe, whether it's another fandom or another um, an, or an original world, is what it was like growing up for them. You know, what what did their mom do? What was their mom like? What was their dad like? What was their relationship with each parent? Did they have siblings, older siblings, younger siblings? Um, were they a foster child? You know, all of these things influence how a personality develops. And oh, we've got an NCIS, I mean, not NCIS, but Stargate and uh um, numbers crossover brewing in the chat room. <laughs> it got out distracting, didn't it? <laughs> it did. Once I stopped you I had know, to, I, talking with my hands. I had to put something in there. I had to put something in there. Um, uh, I was going to say something, but I forgot what it was. 
I totally had something on my brain, and then they distracted me totally with that with that whole thing about um, numbers and Stargate. Um, <clears throat> um, oh, what I was going to say is a lot of people seem to be stymied on the whole idea of giving um, characters a different experience and therefore them not being the actual character um, by the end of it. What I would say to that is that I am in my 40s. I am not the same person I was 20 years ago. I think differently. I have different opinions about things. I don't even eat the same foods. But I'm still me. I'm the same me that I was 20 years ago, but I'm different. But I'm still me, right? So all these experiences I had between the age of, say, 20 and 40 have shaped me and changed me. Nobody is static. Character can't be static either. Which is the whole point of this exercise. So, um, hmm. Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll use a, here I'll use a personal example. Um, when I was when I was I was born in a in a commune, right? And there were lots and lots of kids born. So I've mentioned being in a commune before. There were lots of kids, all the same age, like dozens, the same age, within six months, either direction. You know, it's like every few months there'd be a couple more kids. Okay, so the kids spent all their time together, um, like. You know, so all my childhood, my my um, personality formative years were spent with a lot of children. So um, when when the, when the commune split up and we all went our separate ways, and these dozens and dozens of children are not together anymore, and there's just you know my my you know my brother, uh, my sister, um, my sister is practically a baby, and we're living in a little apartment somewhere, and we're not out in the woods. Um, I didn't know how to function. Because my personality had developed in a way that was part of a group, if that makes sense, which is a different way of developing your personality than than living in a nuclear family. Um, So now that created some problems for me growing up. But when you look at like intrinsic personality traits, um, you know, from the way I was when I first started walking, talking, whatever – um, I was very adventurous when I was a kid, um, as a nudist. Um, I was very happy when I was a baby, um, for no reason. I never cried. I laughed all the time as everybody's recollections of me as a baby is laughing, um, never crying unless I was hurt, um, that I was adventurous. Uh, I did everything early because in, in the batch of kids that were born, um, around my age, I was the youngest of the batch. Um, so I was always striving to keep up with kids that were older than I was. So when everybody else was already potty trained, uh, I was going to go get do exactly what they were doing. Um, so those things are kind of intrinsic to my personality, but they come out, came out, they 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 kind of manifested in a different way because of the whole group raising dynamic. 
Uh, and then I had to learn how to function as a um, a person, as a child, who is not part of a group dynamic, to have an individual personality as opposed to part of a group and trying to keep up with a group, and how to how to challenge myself as opposed to let the group challenge me. And mm-hmm. if I had never, if that commune had never split up, my personality would not have developed differently. I would have continued to have a part of the group personality, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, experiences, experiences, life experiences take basic intrinsic personality traits and they make them, um, they do different things with you depending upon what you're going through and what happens in your life. Um, so, My computer just shut off, so I lost the, tr- the chat room. So you have to kind of, I mean, <laughs> people, so, you, so people who knew me when I was a kid wouldn't recognize me now. They would not know I was the same person because there's a lot of things that fundamentally changed for me. Um, and I don't mean, I actually find things I'm more like I am when I was a really little kid than I was in um, 8 to 15-ish. I am, like, so different from the way I was 8 to 15. Um that well, what happened was is the one of the one of the side effects of the um, the loss of that group dynamic was I became very introverted and very shy, and I wouldn't speak in public for years. And that was like an unnatural introversion. Um, it's just not the way my personality is is is, is was it's not it's not that's not that's not me. It wasn't me from birth, but it was a side effect of losing you know basically what to me was what felt like my entire family. Um, was this kind of unnatural um, shyness um, because I didn't understand the world anymore. With time and help, that earlier personality came back out again, which is I'm, 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 you know, basically kind of classically extroverted. Um, I like being around people. Um, I I don't really have a shy bone in my body. Um, in case any of you hadn't missed that with my willingness to talk about my period <laughs> in public, <laughs> exhaustively. Um. Well, I mentioned my G-spot last night on the podcast, so I think you're okay. <laughs> yes, you did. Um, but, you know, um, you know, so it's like I've had people say you're a different person than when you were when you were a kid. Not really. But I can see where they're coming from. I'm, um, but we're shaped by our life experiences. So, because I became very different as a you know early teenager than I was as a baby, didn't mean that I was suddenly a different different person. Um, and yeah, sometimes the character is may may not be recognizable. Um, but that's something that you, as the author, has to work out, has to work out how to apply life circumstances to a character that you know and see what happens to them. See what, what, what does that look like to you? What does you think it would feel like? Which is the whole point of the challenge. So, yes, you know, there could be some asshole six months from now on AO3 going, wow, he's really out of character. Tell him to kiss my ass um, because that's the point. Not the point of writing them out of character, but the point is for you to explore your character's motivations, both external, internal, and internal, in a new environment. 
Because one of the most annoying things I see in fandom, especially in the Harry Potter fandom, is that Harry will, like, for instance, in, 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 in AUs where Sirius rescues Harry from the Dursleys and he doesn't grow up there, um, he still goes to school and has the same first year. Are you fucking kidding me? Do you really think that's how that would work? If he was raised by Sirius? If he had a dad he could depend on? Do you think he would have gone down in those traps? Do you think he would have encountered a three-headed dog and not immediately sent his daddy a letter saying, dude, there's a fucking three-headed dog in the school? Of course he would have. This is the difference between a Harry that doesn't trust adults and a Harry that grew up with a loving parent. If you make him a loving parent, if you make him an absent, ridiculous, ugly, terrible, womanizing asshole who who barely pays attention to his godson, which I don't think is realistic either, um, then of course he isn't going to trust adults. But if you have Harry grow up in an environment where he trusts adults, where he has someone he can depend on, he would reach out and he wouldn't be isolated and Ron wouldn't be his only friend at that point. Right, he would come into the wizarding world with friends. That's the point. And, you know, um, because you could, because Harry Potter is really is a perfect example, because you can leave Harry in his canon circumstances, in canon, and completely reshape his childhood and have logical repercussions of that, and no one thinks twice about it. Because he's in his canon circumstances. But it seems to be confusing when you take people out of canon and put them in a different show or a different environment. It seems to be more confusing that they would react differently. And it's basically the same principle. So if if it's not befuddling that Harry would trust adults and... Um, have good social relationships coming into Hogwarts if he was raised differently. It shouldn't be befuddling that he would the same things would happen if he was um, a werewolf in Beacon Hills. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> dark, something that dark ass in the um, chat room. What about giving a dissimilarities and differences? You can give them the exact same background. But they will be different because that background is taking place in a different world. If you give them a background, um, say, for instance, if we move Tony Dinozo, Lock, Stock, and Barrel, into the Stargate universe. He grows up with an absent father. Maybe he gets into law enforcement, but, but there's no NCIS. Um, or maybe he joins the military. Is to escape his father. He was in the military academy at one point. What if he goes to school with John Shepard? Exactly. I was what thinking, would John? What if meet somebody different at a different time in his life who was in the program? What if John Shepard and Tony Dinozo grew up best friends? How would that alter Tony's career path? Right. What and if what? he's in the Teen Wolf universe and Sheriff Stalinsky is his mother's half-brother? And when his mother dies, Nozo Sr. tosses the kid 
to his brother-in-law and says, see you. And Tony grows up with Styles. And in that case, in that particular example, actually in any of the examples, what about Tony is going to be the same? He's still going to think the same way, fundamentally, because his brain is going to work the way his brain works, which is the sort of kind of weird ability to make intuitive leaps that he has. And how would that apply in a different circumstance? How would it apply if he's in a in a world where there's werewolves? How would it apply if he's in a world where there's um, where he's in the military because he met John or whatever? It would just be. Um, those traits would manifest different. Now, somebody mentioned further up in the chat that some characters may lend themselves better to this type of AU. Um, what I would, I, the way I would, I guess the way I would respond to that is yes and no. Um, yes, in the sense that the more you know about a character, the more you're able to extrapolate what their intrinsic traits are. Um, if a character is fairly unknown, they're kind of a mystery or they don't have backstory in whatever um, movie, TV, fandom. Oh. If, like, if, it's a brand new, um, if it's a brand new show or a movie, something where you didn't get a lot of exposure to what makes that character tick, all you see is you know, five or six scenes where they have a few lines, it, it, yeah, it's going to be hard to extrapolate what to do with that person. And I don't know so much, so that's the yes side of the equation, um, that that character is not probably ideal for this kind of challenge because you change anything about them, they're going to be completely unfamiliar because we don't know much about them. But the no side of it is that, yeah, someone mentioned Q. Q is exactly that way Um, because you can't put him in a new fandom and call him Q that wouldn't actually no. literally make any sense. That wouldn't make any sense. So, and how do you make him recognizable? Because he's Q because he's in James Bond, and that's his that's his role, not his actual name. Right, but that's all they ever call him in the super secret spy world. So first, you have to name him. Which once you give him a name, um, you you have a degree of so this, he, this is again that kind of character that would be harder to to do this with. So, but you do know some things about him. Um, and it would definitely be more of a challenge to uh, make him any kind of recognizable. I think um, that you are almost dependent in that circumstance on bringing more than one character over. Meaning, um, you bring J- James Bond is very recognizable. You can make James Bond recognizable in another fandom. And if you bring Q over and give him a real name, people are going to go, hey, that's probably Q. Oh, Tamad, that's awesome. <laughs> she, says, she says, what if Q was a Q? Was a Q. Star <laughs> Trek for the win. <laughs> that is awesome. That is an awesome thought. Because what if Q is a Q? <laughs> you could put Q as a Q and James Bond could be the captain of a starship. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so 
also mentioned Bella Swan that people it, it's a it's it's pretty standard in fan fiction. People do whatever they want with her. Well, this is a case of where the character didn't have a lot of, in my opinion, a lot of depth. Um, and what little I book person. I, I have I only I only read one, but she didn't have How any depth to me. How can a character have no depth if it's written in first person? How does that even because fucking happen? Well, her whole depth was thinking about Edward. So apparently somebody, I guess somebody who would know, tells us that fandom pretty much does whatever they want with her because she's a little bit of a blank slate. Um, so if you're working with a blank slate, you know, somebody who we don't know much about, who we don't, I mean, you could look at that as it's difficult, makes it the challenge harder, or you could look at it as you gotta, you've got the best circumstance ever for the challenge because you can do whatever the fuck you want. James Bond would definitely out Kirk Kirk. <laughs> oh, <laughs> There's yeah. There's no doubt. <laughs> there is no doubt. Absolutely. But that, that's the thing. Um, I think that people who are stymied on the challenge are hesitating too much. They're They're focused on narrowly on the character. But the thing about writing in AU, and I do write in AU, I don't think a fan fiction writer can write in canon, to be perfectly honest, but um, take, for instance, Rodney in Ties That Bind. He has a very different background. He um, he grew up with both parents. He had social training. Um, he... No, his father did die. His mother lived a little bit longer, and then she died. Um, he has an antagonistic relationship with his sister, but for a different reason. Um, he allowed Carter to get away with a lot because he was ashamed of what happened. Um, your reader is going to embrace your story. They want to. They want to embrace your character and see where that character is going to go in this new world. They want that. So the reader isn't the problem. It's the writer. You're the one that's hesitating. Not you personally, Jeep, but just in general, the writer is hesitating. You're hesitating, and that's not un. The thing... I'm going to pick on Lady Holder a bit, so I'm going to put her on the phone so she can defend herself, because I would never do it without letting her defend herself. Lady Holder, really? when I first met her, yeah, I wouldn't pick on you without you being here. Um, Lady Holder, oh, when I first met her, yeah, Jeep, I wasn't talking about you, you specifically. I was talking about you, like as writer. She's using the generic you, darling. The generic you. There's it. Um, Lady Holder wrote in a box. She was very, very much a slave to canon. She she wrote in a really that. really tight. Yeah, you did. In a really, really tight box. And I had to kick her out of the box several times as a beta. Because she was just like knee deep in it. I mean, she just would not let it go. And so, and you can Look, see the only thing I'm going to hug. Mm, the only thing I'm going to hug her. to Sackin' more is the goddamn age of Atlantis. The rest of it, go to town. Have fun. I am going to change the fucking age of Atlantis. You watch me. Um, <laughs> just as long as she's older than 10,000 years. Anyhow. Yeah, my my the limits I put on myself were very narrow. It was 
Canon is this. I'm going to work within the structures of Canon. It didn't work. The box gets so narrow you can't move. And she tried for a very long time to do that. Um, And you can see it in her earlier work, but you can also see that moment when she broke free. (laughs) And what's interesting about Jilly is her first thrust onto RT, you could tell her box had been burned down for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, a dragon burned that box down. <laughs> but the thing is, you know, actually, I, I kind of talked to Lady Holder about this a little bit in chat one night. I think it was Lady Holder. And if I'm thinking of the wrong person, the person I'm talking about can just tell me about it because I'm sure they will. Um, <laughs> is it the the thing that I can the thing I struggle with in um, I, I, most canon I can be like you know give it the words. So it really annoys me when somebody tells me that I'm slaving to canon, but I can be horrible about timelines i can slave to timelines and like it will pain me to jiggle a timeline and i'll actually like put it in the warnings that i change my timelines like it's such a horrible thing that i feel like i need to warn for it <laughs> violence murder and um, i change the timeline <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's it's one of those funny things there are certain things that i will keep um Certain timeline things I want to keep just because it, it makes it easier to match everything up, and it's for my convenience sake. Um, I am working on an NCIS um, uh, Stargate Atlantis thing, and I actually found when I went looking really briefly that the season where I'm having Tony go and give the collective NCIS the finger and bail over to um, Stargate, they they match up. The two parts that I want to to start the mesh, it works. Um, Am I going to use anything else? No. But I needed a starting point, so I found one and it worked. Except Um, Atlantis is 10 million years old or whatever how old it is. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe. (laughs) We'll see. I haven't gotten to that point. Nobody's there. <laughs> you know, we don't know where it is. Um, the the timeline thing is, it's a useful starting point for me, which is why I tend to use it. Um, I don't know. It's... You know, it's funny because, like, I just, somebody, I mentioned in the chat room just now that I don't care when other people do it typically if they jiggle timelines around. I had to do it in uh, Journey Home. I I think I moved the timeline a decade. Um, And I tend to do this OCD thing where I try to move things in, like, increments of five or ten, whatever. It's just – and I know it's stupid, but it's like I can't Mm -hmm. help myself. But um, there is an exception of where, like, I I read something and I I just will just turn right around and run away. Um, And I – maybe it's slaving to canon in my reading, but when somebody starts off a thing – that is like, um, uh, this is season two, but Woolsey is the city administrator, um, um, huh. but Duranda never happened, um, but the shrine has already occurred, um, Kayla's already had her baby, um, but the siege is hasn't this, happened is yet. Like, is this like take every every um, thing they liked about Stargate Atlantis, throw it in the Yahtzee bag, and just roll for, for episodes? 
Yeah, it's like they they completely re and I see this you see I see this quite a bit in in several fandoms, um, where they completely rearrange the episode, compress the timeline, change the characters around, and it's like. If I need a cheat sheet, you know, like print out your author notes to refer back to it later, try to understand what or I mean, I can't read it. I can't. And I could never write something where I am completely reordering canon in some way that makes it like literally it's easy now it's easy for me to say, um, an event didn't happen. Like it's easy for me to say, um, Tony was um at a security conference and dead air never occurred. You know, yeah. I can I can get around dead air that way, but it's, I can't say dead air happened in season three, um, and Jennifer, Jenny was already dead, and Vance is is is, is um, the Vance's director, and and um, boxing uh. hasn't occurred yet. <laughs> when I, I, I can't do that, I cannot do. I mean, and I, somebody actually um, accused me of slaving to canon over that, and maybe I am, maybe I am slaving, slaving to the timeline, but um, I just. That degree of manipulation breaks my brain. Mm-hmm. There's my box. I have to. I I don't typically reorder canon events. Well, I think a lot of times people skip episodes because they make them deeply uncomfortable. Like Duranda, um, I think it's called Trinity. Mm-hmm. Actually, the episode is called Trinity. Mm-hmm. Um, the epi- you know, um, Dead Air. The these are episodes where characters that they might actually like act in a way that makes them deeply uncomfortable. So they delete them from their timeline. And then they say, well, okay, well, I really don't want um, this person here, so let me do this. And I hated Jenny Shepard, so we're going to make Vance the director. And then they, they, they get really convoluted. And the thing is, and this is super important, and this is probably the biggest piece of advice I'll ever give you as a writer, if you have to explain in your author notes your own timeline in your story, you've got bigger problems than an author note can solve. I think I'm just saying with me well yeah. Um I think for me with, with what I am playing with, um the author notes will probably be along the lines of this is where it starts. All bets are off afterwards. Yeah, you know, my notes um, are going to be this shit got real. <laughs> yours got interesting. Um, <laughs> I like demand's question. Uh, uh, demand asks, "Why has no one ever written a boxing <laughs> sick where Ziva's bullet ends up hitting her?" If only. Hmm. I will write that as a short someday. <laughs> Gosh, that's I, a I plot. Don't like to tell that's, you. A, that's a that's a that's a plot bunny. I can't. You I know, can't I mean, I could blame. I'd have her. I'd have her die. So I couldn't have. I couldn't do it on a, the workshop because it'd be like they got Tony out of the box, and it's like she shot herself. I, what do I? What can I say? Story over. New <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <Major> character death. <laughs> yeah. I killed um I killed Jenny, but we had a discussion and we agreed that Jenny um Jenny was a minor character, so I feel okay about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. She's a minor character, one that we'd like to forget. And one that we mm-hmm. like to kill. <laughs> yeah, we'd like to kill her. Ritual sacrifice preferably. Um 
But, you know, I'm working on a um, outside of – I, I got to go in on another um, AU that because I'm using Sentinels and Guides in it, um, it didn't qualify for – but it's a Star Trek NCIS AU. Um, and uh, Tony's growing up in completely different circumstances. He grows up practically revered. Um, he's got good parents. Um and it's his peer group who keeps him in line and keeps him, his ego from getting. But he is just very happy. You know, that that's the, the thing you would like most, you know, twig with him is he's very smart and he's very happy. He's got, like, no inhibitions about caring for people um, because his life circumstances are different that none of those barriers that he puts up in canon are going to be there. But my goal is to still have him be recognizable and have people still go, that's Tony. That is that is the essence of him. Um, without what Tony could be if he had had a better childhood, if he wasn't having to keep all of his personal um, thoughts and feelings separate from the rest of the world, um, if he wasn't worrying about being attacked at every turn, you know what I mean? Um, so reshaping characters is actually I find it to be a lot of fun I find it to be a lot of fun I love writing AUs uh, and figuring out how different pressures and different circumstances would make somebody act and actually sometimes you can give different circumstances that make somebody act in the exact same way that does happen there's there's studies that have been done on twins who are separated um and adopted out by different people and, and basically grow up never knowing they're a twin. And they, they find out later, or, and the kids um, describe their lives and what's happened with them, and there's a lot of similarities. Overlap. There's, there's massive similarities in how these, these people do things. Um, and it, it, it's eerie when you think about when you think about it as these are two separate people raised as separate people, not as a set of in twins. In different circumstances. Uh, in different, in sometimes very different circumstances, but their, um, their reactions to the different things in their lives match up right down the line. And that, uh, that's really fascinating, and it's a really fascinating way to, to look at how you're you're taking that character of yours, because if if you look at Canon as the main personality, you're making a twin in a different different universe. Okay. If oh, that's clever. You know, some things may still be the same. Yeah, some things may end up still being the same. It's like um, my Tony is he's as curious as a cat and has as little compunction um, as a cat to find out exactly what the fuck's going on around him. He will look into everything, which is canon Tony. Nobody's shit was safe right? uh, <laughs> early in the season. He opened everybody's stuff up and looked in it and was poking through it. And what's this? Why do you have this? You brought a vibrator to work? Announcing, you know, type thing. This is Tony, okay? And... I can see him in a brand new spot, in a brand new place, with a brand new job, going, you stuff to explore. Hot damn. And he goes and hooks into every corner he can, and many that he never should. And he does it because <laughs> he's curious. <laughs> I, I think that Tony's 
curiosity and his loss of it in later seasons is one of the biggest disservices to his character um, mm-hmm. that happened in NCIS. Now, there are a lot of things that happened in NCIS with Tony's character that were quite terrible. Um And I had a thought, but it's, it's just completely gone. I'm, I'm, it's PMS. I, PMS makes me crazy <clears throat> and gives me memory <laughs> problems. Am I, am I the only one? <laughs> no, it's no, me too. I, a lot of things wind up in the freezer when I've got PMS. Um, <laughs> that shouldn't be there. I, That's hilarious. I, I can't figure out. It's like, you know, if I've got PMS and I can't find something, odds are it's in the freezer. <laughs> You know, now that you mentioned the freezer, I've got ice cream in there. It should it shouldn't be in there. It should be out here. I'm gonna go fix that. But talk about the twin thing and the, and the nature versus the nurture. These twins, a lot of them named their pets the same thing. They, they had the same job. With they names. the same car. They married women with names that were very similar. I mean, that is just a creepy Men. level of. Similarity with people who are raised separately mm-hmm. but are genetically the same. Of course, mm-hmm. what you need to keep in mind is genetically the same isn't the same because we are more than our genetics. We are also a we are a bioorganism and we have biosystems um, and um, bacteria colonies and all that stuff impacts your physiology makeup. And the human biodome is. Um, unique to individuals even individuals who have the same dna won't have the same bio environment they may be close but they're not going to be exactly the same well no people in the same house that don't have the same biodome so um mm-hmm. biodome might be the wrong term hey, but um biome. but you guys know what i mean yeah it's biome not biodome mm-hmm. right biome I knew I was getting it wrong. Um, you were close. <laughs> their, their flora and fauna um, may have the same root, but over the course of their lifetime and their different experiences, the the ways it's developed has changed. It's um, When my sister and I were kids, we grew up in the same house, we ate the same foods, but what would make her sick sometimes with food poisoning didn't bother me. I had slightly different, you know, Different flora and fauna, if you will. Yeah. If so, you, um, mm-hmm. if you, uh, if Micro, you have two, if you, but if you have two twins, genetically identical, who have never spent a moment apart, they're still going to be different. But let's say you just give one of them, one of them gets an ear infection, and the other one doesn't, and one takes antibiotics. They will be irrevocably mm-hmm. for eternity, completely, dramatically different from that. Because that's, that's mm-hmm. all it takes. The bacteria in your stomach, um, and what it does, can affect how neurotransmitters in your brain are created. So they're, they don't even—they don't—they're just beginning to understand the relationship between um, how our brains work and the bacteria in our body that's supposed to be there that we've been killing off. So it's—it's um, it's a very complicated thing. Uh, and you could, you could, you, I mean, you could arguably have a character that was sickly as a child. Like, let's say you take a character, 
um, and you move them into an area, like let's say a character who was born in the desert in Canon or whatever, and you move them to an area like um, Washington where it's very wet, and they have a mold allergy, and they're sick a lot, and they wind up on antibiotics a lot. Well, th- conceivably, their brain chemistry actually could wind up different from taking antibiotics a lot in childhood, which could affect their personality. I mean, it, there's so much involved in the way we turn out, um, and you could make that as, I mean, obviously you can't explain that to your readers because <laughs> that would be weird. And they would yeah, be bored. Yeah, it's something to think about. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would be something to think about, and, you know, if. It's it's um it's a way to 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 look at your character and if you're having a problem with um, getting your head around the whole whole thing just this is your the main canon person's twin you're writing about that different but same person you know what what would their how would their twin be different cat the ice cream's mine not yours <laughs> what okay, sharing you know, is caring. It, not it, when it comes to ice cream it, <laughs> or cheesecake. Hell no! It's cookies and cream ice cream. Mine. No. Yeah, I know that. Good. You know, Barbara. I know. I know that icon is is a is an emoticon waving. Does anybody else think that that emoticon looks like someone doing like a jacking off motion on their head, like mental masturbation? Yes, thank you. Yes, that's, yes. that's wrong. Every time I see that little wavy hand, I go, "Oh, he's mentally masturbating." Um, what i would say is that if um your comfort level isn't where you want it to be a week before um rough trade nano starts um just sit down and write a scene where something happens to your character that changes them for life in a canon circumstance, Rodney accidentally discharges his weapon. Mm-hmm. And someone is injured. This is a moment that will change who he is for the rest of his life. It will change how he handles weapons. It will change how he interacts with the person that he shot by accident. If that person dies, every bit of it will change him. And he will never be the Rodney he was before he put that gun on that morning. Ever. This is, this is a moment he never gets over. It's going to shape and change him completely. It doesn't matter who he shoots. But can't, can't, Rodney would feel guilty even if he shot Kavanaugh. I mean, he would. This is an immense thing to do to another person by accident. I mean, you know, so, um, and how yeah, how he thinks about the military. What about the first time Rodney killed somebody off world when, when they were fighting to get away from something or somebody? That moment changed Rodney. He's no longer the person he was that stepped through the gate. He's forever changed. And if you think about these small and big events that change a person, and you put that person in a new world where that world is impacting them in a different way, what if Tony grew up in a world where the Stargate existed and he is 
best friends with John Shepard, and John comes back to Earth when the ancients kick them off, and he looks up his old friend because he hasn't seen him in a while, and he wants to connect, and he connects with Tony, and Tony's you know, in a position where he's not particularly fond of who he's working with, his situation's bad, and John thinks to himself, you know what? He gets back to Atlantis, and they get the, sh- the city back, and he's got all these new Marines, and he's thinking, you know what? I need an NCIS agent. And he asks the president for an NCI agent, and he says, and I want this one. I want this one right here. And suddenly, mm-hmm. Tony is agent afloat at on Atlantis. This is not a complete AU like we're asking of you in November. But this situation, he now knows there are aliens. He is forever, mm-hmm. forever changed by this mm-hmm. information. His best friend lives on another fucking planet. Of course mm-hmm. I'm going to Atlantis. <laughs> Let me pack my bags. Because <laughs> are you fucking serious? You know, here, here's, a, here's a canon, and I'm going to use it just because you can actually go watch the show. Um, that episode where they find the race on the planet on the far end of the solar system, and there's a scene in there where Rodney stands up, fires the nine mil that he's got in his hands at this thing, asks a stupid question in the middle of it, but gets his smart answer, reloads, and shoots him again. This is not the same guy who went through the gate at the start of the season. All right. This is a guy who has found his courage. Because I'm sorry, standing up to a race, admittedly hitting him every time with you know with that gun and those bullets, but he stood up. All right, and he knows the race can eat him, but he did it anyhow. That's a different Rodney than you originally meet. You know, and it makes a difference later on down the line because it seems Rodney's a little more comfortable with that gun. Yeah, yep. something to think I agree. about. For those of you, this is exactly the thing. For those of you who've watched a long-running TV show, you have seen character evolution. Hopefully, mm-hmm. if you have run, if you watched a long-running TV show and your character didn't evolve, find a different show. Um, but... If you're if you're doing a fandom um, like there's been a single movie, you or you may not have as much to draw on. You may not, but hopefully you've seen some TV show that is long running where you can you know understand character evolution and you're just kind of applying that, but from birth. Um, and in terms of the writing exercise, for those of you who are NCIS writers, I would challenge you to do a short where. Tony is hurt in the event of dead air, events of dead air. It's a very common trope in the fandom to explore. And often in the fandom, there's no consequences. He goes back and works with the team. I would challenge you to think about how you would be changed if someone so completely betrayed you and you almost lost your life, What that, how that would change you, how that would change him, and what the ramifications would be in the future. Could you truly go back and pretend like nothing had happened? Well, if you're following canon, yes, because they were idiots. Um, if you're talking well, about reality, talking about him getting, I'm taking, talking specifically about changing canon because in canon he wasn't yeah. hurt, but changing canon and having him be wounded, be hurt. 
I mean, even, even if it's a, even if he just gets punched in the face, and Ziva a, and Tony just, don't don't come to his aid. What if he gets hit by a car? Car jumps the curb and slams into him. Nobody's done anything nefarious to him. He's just been hurt, mm-hmm. and he, nobody hears him calling for help. You don't have to have a bad guy who tries to kill him. It's just something happens, and he realizes he's He's paying attention to his notes. He walks across somebody's driveway, and that person is backing up and doesn't see him until they've already hit him. Which happens all the time. Mm -hmm. And neither does Eva or Tim come to his rescue because they're not paying attention. How does that change him? There are two prompts currently in the big short on Rough Trade. One is Revenge, and one is Cave. Um, I'm going to post another one tomorrow. I'm going to pick one that is a little um, more open. And you can go in there and explore that prompt and pick events to change your character. And you only have to write a thousand words. That's the maximum for the challenge. And so just kind of work it out in your head how how it's going to work over and over again. And you can answer challenges multiple times. Because the point is is to... um, Kind of just open your brain up a little bit um, with the challenges. So um, this is just about reshaping your character. And nothing changes your character more than external forces. And the biggest external force you're going to have in your story in November is their, is the world they, they've grown up in. Whether it's Star Trek or Star Wars or Stargate or Teen Wolf or just wherever they've grown up and, and whatever they've done. If, if they got sorted at Hogwarts instead of going to military school, <laughs> you know, whatever happens to your character in their new world is going to shape and change them. But um, in the nature versus nurture debate, um, there is an argument to be made that... Um, that nature plays a part in who we are. And that a trait isn't a behavior. Your environment is influenced, um, influences your behavior, but it doesn't always influence your traits. There's a um, I don't remember if you put this up in, in uh, Evil Author Day or not. I think you did. It's um, the one where um, Rodney is or was a colonel in the Canadian military, and they go and he actually gets everybody to go to Atlantis, and he quits right before they leave. John talks him back. I think that's an Evil Author Day. Um, that Rodney's a little bit more socially aware because he got socialized a lot earlier than um, Canon Rodney. Am I right? Was it an evil author day? I'm sorry, what was it again? (laughs) I don't remember the title. But it was, um, Rodney was Canadian military, got out, uh, gave everybody the finger at one point, and John oh, talked the, him back in. Oh, that's the two gay swan ones. That's the two gay swans. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think um, so. Um, I forget what it's called on EAD, actually. I'll have to look it up. You know, in, in terms of the nature versus nurture debate, um, think about a tiger raised in captivity. Um, it might tolerate touch. It might like being petted. It might be friendly. It might be delighted to see you. And it might still eat you. Mm-hmm. Probably all of the above. Because you can um, change some of its behaviors, but you can't change what it fundamentally is. Maybe that's a terrible example, but go with it. Well, if, if you think about it this way, um, for those of us who have cats, um, there are little tigers that are just, you know, they get picked up and they get cuddled and it's lovely and wonderful. But I have watched my cats get that look in the eye that says, I'm a predator and you're, you're crunchy, you know. And while I can deal with my cat, who at 10 pounds is, is very dealable, something that weighs 1,000 pounds and is bigger than me, there's no way in hell, even if it was something that was hand-raised. Yeah. Right. I, one of the reasons I don't have cats is because I'm convinced, with my propensity for being unconscious, that I'm going to get eaten. So, <laughs> just no. Probably just smothered. Probably just smothered. Just smothered. My, well, I had one that used to like to lay on my face, so, you know. I, I don't want to die with a fur ball in my throat, you know, I just, no. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a crazy, crazy, <laughs> super crazy um, example of how the environment can change an animal. Um, pigs and wild boar are two different species. The domestic pig was domesticated around... 10,000 years ago, okay? so And they're delicious. And they're delicious, and they're the source of awesome bacon, and be nice to pick. Everything's better great. than bacon. Everything's better with bacon. Everything mm-hmm. is better with bacon. Okay, so that's domestic that's pigs are awesome, and they're not particularly, I mean, they're not something you want to get in a, a, a cage with or a fence with. Be, be aware mm-hmm. of that, because domestic pigs will eat you to your bones. And then they'll eat your bones. And then crunch the bones. But mm-hmm. apparently they won't eat your shoes. <laughs> so that's a criminal minds reference. Um, but if you let a domestic pig loose and it goes feral, within a year, maybe two, they will take on the appearance of a wild boar. They will grow hair and tusk in order to survive. Fantastic. And if that's not scary, I, you know what? It, it, at the end of the day, it isn't going to be cockroaches. It's going to be pigs that survive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there's still a variety of pig. They're not actually a wild boar. They just kind of look like one. Um, and a feral pig is extremely fucking dangerous. So you see a feral pig, yeah. you run like your ass is on fire. Don't get That's out of your car. That's not bacon. Yes. Smarter qu- <laughs> yeah, the, the smarter response is don't get out of your damn car. Okay. It still might um, try to get in there with you. True. Yeah. 
Do you guys remember food. that video yeah. that was viral for a while of that lion that opened somebody's car door? Oh, no. Jesus. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah they forgot to lock the damn door. This, this lady, these people are driving through um, a wildlife park, and there's lions all around the car, mm-hmm. and they're filming. And the lion's nudging, one of the females, the lioness, so she's nudging at the door, and all of a sudden the door starts to open. Uh-huh. And, they, of course, they freaked out. They dropped the video camera and get that door shut and, and stopped the lock. But lock, I mean, lock, lock the door, lock the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is, this is very definitely a lock the door and hope they don't have watchers. You know, there, there's another one I saw recently where it was a, um, it was a cheetah. And apparently, again, wildlife preserve somewhere in Africa. The, one guy is sitting um, in the back seat of the Jeep. He is stiff as a board and looking at this thing with big eyes. The fuck? Apparently, it had hopped in through the open window. To hitch a ride, you know. Really, you know. It's a cat. It jumps. You know. It. it it's like you know. Put, <laughs> they don't usually you know, aren't, I, aren't, aren't usually looking. There's not usually a cheetah version of Uber though. She's yeah, have a lower, I'm tired. Domestic cats open a door, so I, you know. I know domestic cats open doors. I've got some that do. There's a reason we flipped our lever doors around so that way the actual twisty is on the inside of the house and the lever door part is on the outside because we had a cat <laughs> who, would, who would pull the lever down so he could pry the door open so he could go out. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. It's like... Really? Obviously, he wants a cat I, door. <laughs> he didn't get one because he was also well. The thing is, is the the door that he was doing this to was the garage. Okay, it's also because of him that I started um, always keeping my back door completely locked, and every time I I open the back door, I you know when I close it, I lock it because he would sit there and reach up and bounce that lever. Uh, door to get out and then he would freeze on the back porch because oh my god there's sky out there you know weird cat Kira brought this up um, when we first started talking about rough trade which is the parable of the frog and the scorpion Um, and the the last you know the end of it um, is you know the whole point of it is the scorpion does what it does because it's in his nature um, and, you know, mm-hmm. that's what you have to figure out is what is in your character's nature? What is it their nature to do and be no matter where they are? And that's the essence that you keep as you move your character into a new world. Will your character be the same? No. But your character isn't going to be the same no matter what you write if you give them events that are meaningful. If your external motivations throughout your story are meaningful, they're going to have impact on your character. It doesn't matter where you're writing or what you're writing. And if they don't, that's a big problem, and that is the point of the challenge, that you start thinking about your character as an organic, moving, living creature that is changed by their environment, they are changed by events that happen to them, they are changed by events they see happening to other people. 
there's a popular you are safe trope. and changed. Okay, go ahead. There's a popular trope post post apocalyptic, um, and that is a really that's I find in I, I typically it's not typically um, a a genre of fic that I read because a lot of times they go really dark, very dystopian, um, and it's just that's not my particular thing. But I have read a few that I thought were really well done, um, that I was that I could you know kind of tolerate how dark they got, and that is a a, a, a genre of fic where people, most people do a really good job of evolving the character from canon, 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 world ends, everybody is different. And we expect people to be different after the world ends, after World War III or after major um, natural disaster. Whatever your apocalypse is, we expect them to be different. And people usually do a really good job of following through in that particular genre of evolving the characters. So if that makes sense to you as a as a as a reader, if that makes sense to you as an evolution of a character, then you're doing the same thing. You're just backing up in time and applying different external pressures and seeing what happens. And maybe you don't know until you start writing, and that's okay. You can pants the fuck out of your character evolution if you need to. Maybe you need to figure that out as you're writing it. And it's supposed to be a learning experience, and there's no way to fail this. You're going to learn something either way. Right. So stop stressing it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, There is a really good AU um, that I think really outlines this really super well in the Stargate fandom. It's called The Hard Prayer by Rihanna. Um, And I'm going to put a link up um, for those of you who are in the chat room. And it's not on my list on... um, on rough trade because it's not a complete AU at the very end. They do connect with other Stargate characters from Atlantis. Um, but John's not on Atlantis. He's on earth. And the summary is one year after the end of the world, John meets another survivor. Mm-hmm. It is post apocalyptic. Say it for me, ladies. Sorry. You're not the only one who has a problem. I'm contagious. (laughs) It's a great story. It's kind of hard, obviously. It's called The Hard Prayer. Um, It's dark. Um, It is a stunning character um, study for both John and Rodney. Um, Especially, I think, for Rodney, because you see a lot of his fears highlighted. One in particular is the way he's having to eat. And how he can't eat canned food that doesn't have labels because of his food allergy. And how he worries every time he finds food is whether or not it's going to kill him. Because there's no one there to help him. And he's lived alone for a year. Damn. I know, right? Can you imagine? Walking. He's been walking for a year toward Colorado. And John has been doing it as well. Um, Rodney was in Maine and John was in Virginia. And they both started walking and they meet up. And it's been a year since they've seen anybody else. Um, and they go to Colorado together. And it is an amazing story. It's just uh, 
it's just thirty k, but after you get finished reading it, you'll you'll feel like you read hundred k. Thirty k of dark, I think I can handle. A lot of post-apocalyptic <laughs> fics are very long, you know, like 150, 200, 250,000 words. And I can, like, I sometimes I get scared even over them because I'm like, I can't handle 250,000 words of darkness. I can't do it. Um, and some of the, well, I, I've, heard, I've heard some of these stories are just brilliantly written. It's just, you know. The hard part is dark, but it's also hopeful. Hopeful is good. I, I, I need, they are I need, for the I, Melody, which is why it's not included in my other list because it's not an AU. It's it's an AU, but it isn't a complete AU because Rodney knows about Cheyenne Mountain and he knows that there's help there. He hopes there's help there, and he knows that he can get off Earth there. Um, so that's why he's going. And John was just wandering around. John has no clue. So, and I have to bring up again. Um, Fate Protects Fools, um, Small Children and Ships um, oh. Named Valor by Sunrider. I love um, I know that not, one. I know not everybody's familiar with the fandom, but it is a brilliant example of Sunrider didn't just preserve one or two characters. It's like a dozen characters that mm-hmm. were evolved to fit into the Star Trek universe. Um, Gibbs is Gibbs, but he's not like Gibbs in in the show exactly. He's what you would expect Gibbs to be if he were a starship captain. Tony is Tony, mm-hmm. but how you would expect him to be um, if he has a trill in his head. Is that a trill? Is that it? Trill in his head? Is that the species? I can't believe I'm blanking on yeah, that. Yeah, anyway, he's a trill. McGarrett is McGarrett. Um, and um, Danny is Danny. I mean, they, they're so recognizable as them and yet different because they've grown up in this completely different world um jenny shepherd is still recognizably jenny shepherd um uh, for all that she's, she's just really annoying um you know it's, it's it's like taking two casts and going i am gonna you know i mean they just threw down with that story and it is a just a banging example of it, you know it's it, reading that story was part of why i even suggested this challenge is because it's so fascinating mm-hmm. that someone could write character voices that rich and that well in a new environment. It was just it's just brilliant. And there's there's a lot of brilliant um but that one always stands out for me is also because it's fandoms that I um really connect to. Um and so it's just you know read it if you haven't read it, read it. If you read it a while ago, get a refresher before the challenge. It's one of the ones I actually do um read fairly regularly because I actually happen to adore the the, the story. Um, yeah, it, it's a feel-good fic. It's like when I'm, when I just, nothing's going to do but something I'm already familiar with that makes me feel good, that's where I go. Yeah. Along with Lion Rampart, just saying. And speaking of <laughs> Lady Holder, <laughs> yeah. just saying, <sighs> have you settled on something for November? You know that hinting that that our 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 um, best buddy who, who's on this conversation with us has been doing about Tony you are and SGA fandom. You are so fucking welcome. <laughs> you're gonna love this so fucking much. Oh my god, you're gonna fucking love it. You're so welcome. I basically decided that um, 
Actually, I decided my POV character, too, which is going to be a complete departure because it's not Tony. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think I'm going to be doing Tony because he's easy. It's, I'm going to be doing um, – it's an SGA, and there are several people who are going to get transplanted. One of them is Tony. Um, he, I actually am going to make him a Navy SEAL, so I expect that when I finally get around to putting this up on my site, I am going to get so much shit. I'm actually looking forward to it. It should be interesting. Um, the other one, <laughs> the other one, is in Egerton. You are so because... lucky. <laughs> oh. And Ian is Tell not going to be. Yeah, Ian is not going to be a sniper. He's going to be a trauma surgeon, and he's going to take Keller's place. You are so <gasps> fucking welcome. <laughs> There's going to be no Keller. I'm feeling all the gratitude right now. All of it. <laughs> I and got my hands in here's the, the air. <laughs> and here's the thing. Ian, Lord love the man. His his bedside manner could best be described as um, house crossed with PMS, um, crossed with um, murder, hate, suicide type thing. Let's drive you to it. Because... He doesn't like people all that much. He'd rather just operate on them and hand them to somebody. You baby them. I'm going to just cut them up. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> you know, um, as I, as I, I have, wrote I'm it down, how, I'm going to say something completely inappropriate. I have a total thick boner going on here. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Um, I, the way I put it is um, Ian has no bedside on no. House is kittens and candies next to him. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, well, I Ian's a badass. Potential. He is. And he's, he's still going to have certain things that he, he likes to do. Um, you know, Tony is still going to be the, the person who's got curiosity to spare, and he's going to want to know everything. But he's going to have funneled this into a function of what he does because in this case, Tony is actually going to be slotted into place where um, Lauren was. And Lauren, I think we're going to drop a 302 squadron on Atlantis. And um, Lauren's just going to be the person in charge of that. And I'm just writing it down right right now so that way I know. You're so fucking welcome. I have to go get my little dog. I'm going to put myself on pause. I'll be right back. Keep okay. talking, bitches. Yep. The other thing is, is... I vote radio silence for the next five minutes. No, I'm just kidding. They would drive them nuts. Let's not do this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the other one is, I think I, I dropped Ian's potential age because in numbers, I put him in his 40s. And this I put him in uh, at 35. Okay. okay, and Tony's about 32. He's he's a lieutenant commander. So, if you're looking at a military organization chart of the ranks, it actually matches. Uh, major is equal to at least in ranks, a lieutenant commander. He is a SEAL. He's um, he got this this posting for different reasons. He went to Rima. There are things that are going to um, that are going to mesh. But there's a lot of things that aren't, okay? Um, 
for mine, if I can, I can possibly answer some of this for a non-can fan is um, Tony being the uh, XO of Atlantis, there's going to be a fair amount of overlay with um, Ian being the CMO. There's going to be a whole, there's going to be interaction um, because it's not always going to be, you know, Ian's doing a surgery. He hands over his, you know, the, the now no longer um, fascinating body to somebody else to deal with because it's done. And, you know, where's the next one? It, it, that's not going to be the story. Okay. Uh, he's going to be interacting with people. And I don't, I'm not 100% certain if he's, one of the things that, that I read years ago about geniuses um, and it made sense is if you're, if they're not so, if they're not taught the social graces, you know, the things that, that, you know, society uses to um, lube interaction to make everybody, you know, that way we don't have random homicides in the street uh, just from saying hi to somebody and saying it wrong at least on a normal day. Um, Ian didn't get much of that. Just like with Keller, he went to college really early. Okay. But unlike the pretty girl who learned human interaction by hook or by crook, he didn't. And he has less reason to give a shit than, um, (laughs) than, than Rodney does because Rodney doesn't really care. He knows it. He has the the knowledge of what you know human interaction should be, but he gave it the finger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so in terms of the question, um, um, I actually I have to get off the air in uh, ten minutes because I'm going to the movie, but I, I want to hear more about the story. But let me answer this one question real quick. Somebody asked sure. um, in, in regard to the interaction with the canon inhabitants of the fandom world, how much is allowed or expected. Um, to some degree, that's entirely up to you. Um, the only thing you really can't do is have the focal characters be the the, the 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 story cannot be about the central plot should not be about the characters in the fandom that you're using as your world building. So they can interact with them, or the characters can be non-existent at all. Um, you could use Harry Potter world building and not have Harry Potter present in any way, shape, or form, just use the world building, in which case there would be no interaction. You could have, you could move one character, like let's just say Tony, into Star Trek universe, and it's just Tony interacting with the Star Trek people. As long as the focus is on Tony, you're good. Um, now, you can have some side plots with the other characters, and that's fine, but the central plot needs to be about the character you've chosen. Alternately, you could move the entire cast of your show or movie of choice into the new fandom and really kind of write out all of the people and have them be auxiliary characters, the principal characters. in it. So as long as you have your main plot focused on your character or characters that you're bringing in from your um, character fandom, your world-building fandom, what you do with that in terms of the characters that are there, you've got a lot of latitude. A lot of latitude. Um, just the rule of the challenge is, is that you are your central plot needs to have something major to do with your character or characters of choice from the character fandom. 
And Lady Holder's example is she's going to have, um, because Tony and Ian are the characters she's bringing in, that's not a lot of characters to build a story on, so of course there's going to be a lot of SGA characters involved. Mm-hmm. And but I don't also, know if it, it also. Go ahead. I'm say, I don't know if you're going to have subplots or side plots with John and Rodney or not, or what you're going to do, but those are all options as long as the focus stays on um, Tony and Ian, or Ian, or whichever character she's picking as her central character. Sorry, um, you guys. There, there Jack will... got out of the backyard. <sighs> oh, Uh-oh. no. His little, fr- his little ass was in the front yard being an asshole. I, I freaked out, of course. <sighs> oh, man. Okay, yeah, I don't blame you. So, so long as you're good. Yeah, just being an okay. asshole. Okay. Yeah, I'm talking to you. We, we, we were just clarifying <laughs> um, what, um, how much of your um, world-building fandom you have to use, and my answer was um, as much as little as you want, as long as your central plot is focused on the characters from your character fandom. That you can yeah, write, um, write, write the, write the world-building fandom characters out completely or have them interacting extensively, you know. You have a lot of latitude. And you can also to, write to, an AU of your other fandom. <laughs> if you're brave, you could say, for instance, you could write an SGA werewolf AU. Okay. Or... Yeah, there's, there's that. Yeah. Or SGA Atlantis Seeds from the Earth AU. Or whatever. Um, the important part is is to make sure your character, your central character, is influenced and changed in a way that makes sense with his new world. Mm-hmm. The um, the thing about something else you need to take into consideration is where you slot your characters in, because I picked two very high profile jobs in. Uh, Atlantis. I picked the XO of the military and the CMO of the whole place. Those are not run-of-the-mill people. Okay? It's not like um, Tony's in the kitchen cooking and you only see him occasionally at meals. That's not what he does. You know, he's front and center there where everybody has access to him. Ian, same thing. His character is very much um, front and center, and he's going to be involved with all of these characters. Um, I think this is the first time I will actually have done a pure change somebody down far enough um, in their lifetime to actually be fairly different than than what canon is. You know, I've, I've played with further on after canon events change things and then, you know, extrapolate from there. But, you know, this is this is much, much earlier than I normally go. It'll be fine. Yeah. It'll be it's very interesting. Awesome. I love the way Lady Holder writes, Tony. So, um, you know, I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna I'm just gonna have this sick boner for the next six weeks. Just saying <laughs> It's one of those things that I look at it. I look at at um, Tony Dinozo, who is extraordinarily competent, and the show hampered him so hard. And the the idea of making Tony a uh, seal 
totally and completely, I think, and I can never get her, I can never remember her name, but the, the, the lady who made Tony a seal, um, and um, Minka. Minka, uh, Minka 83. 83. Honey, you did, you did a fantastic job. I adored it, and it was great. Um, I hope you're listening. But, you know, it's a wonderful idea, and I'm going to run with it. You know, it's, um, yeah, it's it's definitely going to, uh, <laughs> as Chris says, competency is sexy. It is. Tony's going to be competent because you can't get to be an XO of a major base, especially, you know, as, uh, Atlantis, if you're an idiot. It just yeah. is not going to work. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um. <laughs> oh, man. There's, I don't know, lots of fun things. Um, we got 15 minutes. Are we going to keep talking about this, or do you want to talk about other stuff? It's fine. I, I, I... I think it's important to kind of um, give lots to bring of up di- lots of different examples because um, that way, if somebody mm-hmm. if somebody isn't connecting with one example, they might connect with another. So, right. So if if anybody's familiar with numbers, we did a plot drift where um, I did a plot drift with, with Kira probably a month or month and a half ago, maybe a month ago, where mm-hmm. we kind of reconstructed numbers into the SGA universe as an example. Mm-hmm for this challenge. Um, so if you know numbers and you haven't heard that plot drift, um, we completely reconstructed Don and his motivations, Charlie and his motivations. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, we did kill Alan Epps. It was, um, I, I kind of sent Kira to the corner over it, but that was what happened. And it's, it's another example from another fandom. Um, that you can go back and listen to that plot drift, um, and that might help if that's a fandom you're familiar with. One of the um, there there may be mentions of of you know other um, NCIS characters in this you know just as a uh, hey just came back from Earth um, there was a uh, uh, an investigation on the base I was at you know this you know this this really hard ass group did their thing it was great and you know. Tony looking at it going, huh, you know, and, you know, that type of thing, it's not meshing it again, but it's still, it's a different Tony. You know, you're not going to have NCIS Gibbs Tony there. So. And if, if you take Tony away from Gibbs in the show, if oh, you yeah, don't big have time. NCIS, if you don't have, if you take Tony out of the show from the get-go, everything evolves very differently in NCIS. For starters, realistically, mm-hmm. like nobody's alive. Okay. Um, <laughs> right. Team, Everybody's you know. fucking dead. <laughs> or Gibbs is um, retired. Several times. Right. It, it, you know, I mean, Gibbs lost his entire team to a car bomb. He he retired because I mean, he, it's just I actually was trying to work on an AU where he didn't, and that's one of the things I could not get behalf was that everybody would be dead. So, mm-hmm. um, and you know, and I think Gibbs would be in jail because you know that that second beast bastard routine that he's got going. He does not deal well with other agencies. No, Tony you know? reigns him in. Tony totally reigns him in. Mm-hmm. So whatever. Now, like you know, I, some people, some people. I want to just give one example because I'm actually going to have to hang up a few minutes early because I have to um, 
go to the movies. I had a life this week. What can I say? I left the I left the house twice in one week in the evening. What the fuck? Um, <laughs> but the other example is I've talked hmm. to a few people who you. who write Marvel Mar- Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they have a really hard time divorcing the character the metahuman, whatever, from their superpower. Divorcing Tony Stark from Iron Man, um, divorcing Captain America from the serum, um, Bruce Banner from the Hulk. Um, and I'm just kind of going to – I'm dropping a bomb on Karen Ladyholder before I hang up. Deal with it. <laughs> because I have you know like at least four or five people who are like they, can, they have a really hard time getting past how to write those characters without this – this major thing that they that that defines them, you know. How do you write Thor when he's not Thor, the god of thunder? He doesn't have the hammer. There's a story I read, and I don't remember who it is, where um, Steve never got the serum, and he. Um, Dotty. No. <laughs> but he was okay. sickly, and uh, he. He made it through World War II. Um, Bucky came home. Bucky had PTSD, major PTSD. But they managed to make a life, and um, Tony came along. Somehow, some way, they were dealing with, with um, what's-his-futs, uh, start, um, Tony's father. But they, they actually, it worked because it was still Steve. It was still that stubborn kid who stood up to everything and anything and was giving the world the, thing, the finger before he had the, the ability to stand on his own two feet without you know passing out because he couldn't breathe. Yeah. Um, what I would say I about actually, Steve is that Steve is Steve regardless of whether mm-hmm. or not he got the serum because the fact is, is that Steve is the only person who's ever been who's ever been given the serum that didn't fundamentally and change. And had it work? Yeah. If you think about it, Bruce changed, Bucky changed. Mm-hmm. Now, in canon, um, Natasha has the serum. Mm-hmm. So well, really, two different when you versions look at the... Canon. Well, yeah. That I heard. There's more than two. Um, but... Yeah. yeah. If you think about it, Steve is the only person to ever get the serum that that didn't fuck him up. Mhm. Yeah, as as uh, non-can fan says, uh, or it, uh, never going to happen. Said his body changed, but his personality didn't. He was he was a fundamentally good man when he got that that serum. It didn't really change anything. It just gave him the tools he needed to. Um, to do, you know, what his his personality and his drive told him he could. I don't know if good's the right word. I think undamaged is the right word. Because Bruce wasn't a bad man, but he was a damaged man. And Natasha, she was trained to be what she was, but that training damaged Mm -hmm. her. And, of course, the Skull Guy was damaged. And Bucky, I think Bucky was damaged during the war. And he was brainwashed. Mm -hmm. But Steve comes into it very fucking wholesome. Mhm. I mean, he's lived in poverty, but he, but he's, but he's not coming out of an abusive situation like the other characters are. 
Um, so I think it goes back to damages versus good versus bad, you know? Because Steve was just the... Yeah. The thing for me with, with Steve, he is... Um, I think I'm, I I think you're right on the, the damage thing. Um, but there's also a case of he had a, a support network. He had the people who um, were there to help to help get him through because I don't think he would have been I don't think he would have made it quite as successfully if he hadn't had a bucky, if you will. Right. You know, well, the version of who, the serum that Steve got isn't the same version of the, the serum that Bruce was exposed to, nor is it the same version right. of the serum that the Red Room had, which is what Skull got, which is what Natasha got. And I think the the, mm-hmm. the Abomination, he got the same version that Bruce got. Right. And he was just as damaged as any of the others, but his damage was different than Bruce's. Um, the Hulk is really, if you look at, um, the psychology of, um, abused children and, um, uh, some children kind of develop a protective personality that guards the real one. And I think that's Mm -hmm. what Hulk is. He is the part of Bruce that dealt with the abuse, um, to help Bruce, to, to protect Bruce. So that's why he comes out when Bruce is traumatized or scared or angry. That's, a, that's what the Hulk is. He's a night child. The version of Bruce that deals with what the real Bruce can't. Mm-hmm. And that's why he's primal and feral. And very, very angry. Because I don't think Bruce ever let himself quite get quite that angry. Okay. But one character I think, um, now we talked about Tony's character being deserved by the... Um, the writers at NCIS. I think John Shepard is another character that was, um, was treated very poorly in the writing of SGA um, in that he's not given room to grow the way McKay was. McKay was in many ways indulged in the Stargate. I mean, and I think it's because McKay was actually like a substitute for many of the writers. And that's, that couldn't be more obvious than it is in the fifth season when they give her, when they give their favorite character, a cheerleader girlfriend. Um, You notice that, right? Yeah. That, that's no fantasy come to life right there. I bet they were so excited. But they were all Firefly fans, fans too. Um, But John didn't. John didn't have any... And there's many times that John went through things that should have changed him fundamentally. He was tortured by a wraith. He tried to sacrifice Mm -hmm. himself for the city. He tried to sacrifice himself for Earth. He... But but torture alone... He got turned into a bug. 
all of these things mm-hmm. should have changed John fundamentally, and they didn't. And they should have. Mm-hmm. There's there's things. Fandom has a has a um, ability and frankly a distance to be able to to look at some of these things and say, hey, there's this this was not right. There's problems with this. Let's let's change it. Let's make it um, let's make it what would be more realistic. Which in some cases is an absolute screaming horror. Um, but. Well, honestly, we also have the maturity sometimes to do it, okay? Um, because the 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 showrunners, you know, didn't. You know, they didn't want to. They didn't want to look beyond the the action adventure. Hey, this is nifty, cool. Yeah, and you know, now that we've had the hey, nifty, wonderful, it's cool. Let's go get the girl which is honestly, I think, where, you're right, Keller came from. I don't know. Phantom is, is, is fun and it's weird, and, and we're going to have a lot of fun with November, I think. And we're, what, two minutes out? Um, yes, yeah. I think so. I had shifted yeah. away from that screen, so I had to find it again. Um, <laughs> we, have, we are one minute yeah. and 38 seconds. Yeah. Melody Black is putting up in, um, or actually, was it Melody? No, it was, is um, Dark who put up a very good link for uh, uh, MCU one. Um, it says, of course, you realize this means war. And it's a back to the basics um, look at who the Avengers are, even though at this point in the story, they're not the adults that they were. They're kids. And it's really, really cool because it's, it's them. They're six years old, and they are so them. And I liked it. We're down to 48 um, seconds. We're going to have another podcast yeah. on Sunday. Uh, probably not tomorrow because I have plans with my mama. But it'll be on Sunday, and we'll be talking some more about this until you bitches get it. Okay. Say good night. Good night. So long. Shut up and sit down.